Morning, everyone. Not sure how long this lesson's going to be, but let's take it as it goes. I told Brian I'd try to walk around a little bit too, so we'll see if we can make that work too. Last time, I feel like a, I'm always stable. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I want to take you guys on a journey this morning, okay? About 12 years ago, Jared was eight years old. I was a lot younger. We climbed that mountain right there. There's two ways to get to the top of that mountain. There's one from the east side, which is a lot easier. You can drive all the way to the top, which takes about an hour from our house where we were living. But if you climb it from the west side, that's the west face right there. If you climb it from the west side, you could probably do it in about seven, eight hours at my pace. There are some people that run up that mountain. It's called the Lawless Trail. And when I Wikipedia it, it starts at an elevation of 7,050 feet. Okay, Albuquerque is a mile high, if you guys don't realize that. So the base of that, where this, this trail starts, is 7,050 feet. And at the top, it's 10,006. They classify this trail as a medium to hard trail. Um, the distance, about eight miles, roughly. Okay. Uh, in 2015, four people died on this trail. Many people have gotten lost on this trail. But I, I'm plugging the Sandia Mountains there because that's why they're called the Sandias, right there, because it means watermelon, okay? So if we look at this trail, that's the trail. There's a lot of zigzags in that trail, if you can see it. It's not an easy trail. There's rocks along the way. And when you're a dad at 37, and you got an eight-year-old in front of you, you're making sure you're paying attention to him, okay? Because there's some rock, there's rock slides, I mean, some pretty views, you know, the trail's not easy, it's, there's snow there, but it wasn't when we went, right? I think we went in June, was it? But you get views like that of the city below. And that's what it looks like at night. That's the reward for taking that trail, okay? Some other pictures along the way that are just beautiful views along this journey that Jared and I were doing. But about halfway through, we stopped. You gotta understand, I'm 37. Would I even try to do this today? Nope, absolutely not. I can't believe I did it at 37, to be honest with you. Uh, halfway through, I think we stopped for lunch or a water break or something, and I'm sweating like crazy, or so I thought. Grabbed a water bottle, and, and Jared had already grabbed a water bottle out of my pack. And what I didn't realize is that he had turned either the bottle upside down or he didn't put the cap on right. So my back was just drenched, and I was steaming, believe it or not. That was an experience in itself. So we stopped for lunch a little bit further down the road, and Jared didn't want to continue. He was tired. He wanted to turn back, right? You remember that? 
Another brother in Christ was with us. His name was John Vodder, and he's climbed this thing many times. He um, said, Jared, if you, if you continue on, I got this bag of beef jerky right here, and I'll give you the whole thing. Well, back in those days, that's all Jared needed to hear was beef jerky, and he was there. So we made it to the top, finally. And we'll, we'll talk more about that when we get there. But I want to talk about our journey. Did you know that this thing is full of journeys? Did you guys realize that? It's just full of journeys. So I want to talk about a few of them today. And we know these people. We study them. It's been mentioned several times before. I mean, Brian's mentioned it. Where's Andy? Andy mentioned it in his, one of his sermons, and I got on to him. I was like, dude, you're taking my sermon. Uh, Sean mentioned him. So let's take a look at Joseph, okay? If we look at his journey, we, should, we can just start in Genesis 37 and verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a tunic of many colors. Remember that, right? His brothers, saw, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, so they hated him, and they could not speak to him on friendly terms. So Israel, just starting off, didn't do his son many favors, did he? By showing favoritism, right? And then Joseph goes on in... Verse 5, about the dream, and told his brothers, you know, about this dream. So they hated him even more. And um, what did they end up doing? They ended up putting him into a pit and selling him off for money. So now he's in slavery. Genesis chapter 37 and 22, and 23 and 24. And then we get to Potiphar after he gets him. He's head of his house. He's second in command. And then 37 and verse 19. And now when his master heard the words of his wife and when she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master put him into jail and placed in, in the place where the king's prisoners were and confined him. So now he's in jail. But through Joseph's life, he always excels, right? So now he's in prison, and in verse 30, chapter 37 and 21, Joseph extended his kind, the Lord extended his kindness to, to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed Joseph with all the charge of the prisoners who were in jail, so that whenever it was done, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. As we go on through the story of Joseph, we even see that the cupbearer and even the, what was the other guy? Yeah, that other guy. He remembers him to the king, and he tells the king his dream, right? So what does he end up becoming? Second in command of Egypt because of that. Because the Lord is with him. Genesis chapter 41 and 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
after he tells them these dreams, see, I have set over you the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring, which is a big thing back in those days, and from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen, put on the gold necklace around his neck and had him ride in his second chariot. And they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And he had set him over the land of Egypt. I say all that on Joseph to say this. When his family comes to Egypt and he goes through kind of, you know, making sure all of his brothers are alive, even the youngest. In 45 and verse 7, he tells them this. God sent me before to preserve you, the remnant of the earth, in the earth, and to keep you alive in great deliverance. Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and the Lord of all his household, and ruler of all the land of Egypt. What a journey. Even more so for him to realize that God had sent him there. How many of us realize that when we finally get to that place, it's like, yeah, God put me here for a reason. God put Joseph in Egypt for a reason, because of the famine. I could tell you, when we moved here three and a half years ago, God put me here for a reason. God put you here for a reason. We need to realize that. We need to have the same realization that Joseph did. His journey wasn't an easy one, as we can see. He was in prison, put in a pit, accused of things that he didn't do. How is your journey compared to Joseph? Let's talk about somebody else. Talk about Abraham. He was told in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, Go, leave your home. Far from your relatives. To the land which I show you. Now, if someone tells me to go, probably not going to go, right? Someone says, why don't you go over here? I'd be like, mm, yeah, I don't think so. My family's here. I have roots here. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But he did. It's not an easy thing to do. Then Abraham goes to Egypt because of the famine. We see that in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10. Now there's a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there because it was severe in the land. What about Lot? Didn't he have contentions with his own family and Lot? Right? We, I mean, we can go through and look at, at his life and... And we're not even to the hard part yet with Abraham. If God came to me and said, you're going to sacrifice your only son, how would I do that? How did he do it? It's part of the journey.
when God says he's going to even have a son, how many if, if we were promised a son from God, how would we take it? Would we be impatient like his wife was and try to make it happen on our own? Or would we have the faith to let God do it on his own time? Ninety-nine years old, by the way, when that happened. If you look at Abraham's journey, he was called what? Friend of God, right? Is that what he was not called? Yeah, friend of God. I don't know that his journey was an easy one. I mean, he had a lot that he had. He was always on the go, always moving. Flocks to attend to, lot to deal with, his wife to deal with. Sacrifice your son. James chapter 2 and verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. It's amazing to me that we have a hard time, I have a hard time sometimes with letting God work in my life. I am impatient, ask my wife. But if we let him work, the journey may not be as hard. I think we make the journey hard. I don't think it's always God that we say he makes the journey hard for us. Not necessarily. We make the journey hard. Just like that La Luce trail with all the zigs and the zags. There's 19 switchbacks in that trail, by the way. I counted them. Felt them. Every one of them. Especially on the rock slides. I want to give you a New Testament example. I want, to, I want to go to Paul. Paul was so nice that he wrote down his journey. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 25 through 33. And yeah, I'm going to read it because I think it's that important. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But, whenever, but whatever respect anyone else is bold, I will speak of foolish, in foolishness just as, just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? If I speak as if insane, I more so. For in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, Dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, 
see where we're going with this. Dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from external things. There is the daily pressure on me for all the concerns of all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God, the Father of the Lord Jesus, who blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, under Artus the king, was guarding the city of, I can't even say that, Damascus, I guess, in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped into his hands. Now, <laughs> that's a hard journey. Think about that. How many of us, raise your hands. Anybody, anybody been on a shipwreck? Yeah, I didn't think so. Anybody been beaten with rods? Anybody ever been whipped? I know I have, by my daddy. <laughs> it's a little different though, isn't it? Sleepless nights, we've had a few of those, haven't we? But I think, when I think of our journey compared to even Joseph or Abraham, or even Paul's for that matter, I don't think it pales in comparison to their journey. What did all three of these men, and there's, there's many more that we could sit here and talk about as far as journeys are concerned. But what did these three men have in common? They had faith in God to get them through their journey. Hebrews 11, there's, a, there's many people in this chapter where you can see their journey and how it was completed and what God thought of them, right? Hebrews 11, 36 and following, and the others experiencing mockings and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, they were put to death with a sword. They were, went out, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Is your journey hard? When you look at that, maybe it's not so hard. Where does your journey take you today? That path might not always be easy. We, like Joseph, can realize why we're on the path. Why are you on the path? You know, everybody has a story. Drew has a story. Austin has a story. Jason has a story. Journey, right? Another word for journey. When we try to convert people, why not tell them your journey and how you got there? 
why you were converted, why you were baptized, why you let the blood of Christ clean your sins. Abraham's path was always on the go. He was always moving, wasn't he? Same with Paul. We just read all his. They had God's work to do, didn't they? They had faith. You know what else they did? They acted on their faith. It's called works. And on our journey, we mature. That's what makes us mature. That's why we don't have 20-year-old elders. We want somebody that has the life experience, that has that journey behind them, so they have the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding. Isn't that the reason for the journey, so we can mature and become better? So, just like, like, like that La Luce Trail, it had some easy places, especially from the start. That was good. That was good the first mile and a half. I was feeling good, drinking water, eating granola bars. I tell you what, when I got three quarters of the way up to the rock slides, I think you saw them, if you remember, I was limping. 37 and limping. Having to stop, what, every five minutes, Jared? Sitting down. And I read last week, this is funny, 12 years later, I read this. You should not go on this hike unless you've done intermediate hikes. <laughs> well, dummy. I did it. So, 19 switchbacks, rock slides, elevating from 7,000 to 10,6, 3,200 feet. Hard to breathe, though, by the way. But the view, as you guys saw, was worth it when I got done. And as I'm laid out on a bench, I'm not telling you how I got down yet. I'm laid out on a bench. This one's staring out the window. John's standing up. And I'm like, oh, please let that tram hurry up and come so I can take the ride down because I was not hiking it down. That would have been another seven hours that I could not have done. I told Brian this, this sermon's 12 years in the making anyway. <laughs> Your journey is up to you. It depends on what path you take. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. Enter in through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Choose your journey wisely. Every one of us have an opportunity, and I remember what stuck, the most thing that stuck in my head when, when you all were doing your Sunday Bible class or whatever it was, I can't remember, but I remember True North, I remember that, Rick. Remember, true north. God is our true north. And the funny thing about all that La Luce Trail, the other thing that sticks in my head, I got home, had to lead singing the next day. 
should have seen me trying to walk up to lead singing. I was still limping. But Monday, I felt great. The other thing that was funny, too, is, is the eight-year-old still wanted to mow the lawn when we got back. I'm like, you're crazy. You're nuts. This right here. When we take our journey, this is our guide. And with, you know, with the, without GPS now in this city, I'd be lost. Just like without this, we would be lost. We would have no hope. So with that, like I said, it was a lot easier to get down than it was to go up. And I, and I told some of you all earlier that I was going to do this lesson. And they were like, well, I would have rode the tram to the top and walked down. Well, of course. Yeah, that's the easy way. And so is taking the west side and driving up to the top. You still get the, the marvelous view. But it's a risk versus reward thing, too. Right? Putting your body to the challenge. I wanted to see if I could do it. I did it, barely, but I did it. So we asked this morning, what journey are you on? Has your journey even begun yet? Are you ready to take that step and make that journey? If you're a Christian and you have fallen off the way, if you've hit the rock slides and you've stopped, maybe this is your chance now to come forward and realize, hey, I need to get back on that path. I need to look to that true north. I need to get my guide, my Bible back in place. If you're not a Christian, you haven't even begun the journey. You're on the wrong path. Start the journey with God this morning as we stand and as we sing.